good to be with you today. Always an honor uh, to be able to stand in this pulpit uh, this morning. Man, there is so much good happening at our church family. And uh, I'm so excited about the future. It has been a rough few years, but I thank uh, God that he takes all things and work them together for the good of those who loved him called according to his purposes, and you are them. And uh, we're excited um, for all that the Lord has in store. Uh, Our pastor and Miss Ramona, they are out this week uh, on vacation visiting family in Florida, but they send their love. They're watching this morning. Uh, They had their, uh, what he called their Pensacola congregation uh, watching. And so uh, it's it's good to be here with you this morning. If you you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter six. And uh, before we get to the text, um, it is actually, the text is going to be the Lord's Prayer, which is what we read every Sunday together. We pray it together and we'll do that in just one moment. But I want to give you a little bit of a backdrop. I want to give you a little bit of context for um, where Jesus is, who he's speaking to, who he's com- uh, where he's coming from, all this kind of stuff. Um, as we approach Matthew 5, Jesus has been in public ministry at this point for a little more than a year probably. And so the anointing of the Holy Spirit is flowing through him. And as he teaches, uh, there's spiritual strength that goes out. There's conviction, hearts are turned, uh, miraculous signs and wonders are being manifest. And as he uh, uh, portrays the word of the Lord, um, all of a sudden these, these people are flocking to him. Thousands and thousands of people are just coming to hear what this prophet, this man of God, has to say. And so um, in Matthew 5, we find Jesus in his most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Most of you are very familiar with it. And in the midst of this sermon, Jesus goes into this very interesting comparison with the people. And what he's doing is he builds this case for how people should not pray and how people should not give and how people should not uh, worship and how they should not fast. At the same time, he goes on this other side and he says, but when you do pray, this is how you should do it. When you fast, these are the steps. When you uh, give, this is the way that it needs to be done. And so he gives us this really interesting contrast. And the reason he does that is because his audience is a mixed multitude. So you've got people who are Jews, you've got people who are Gentiles, and then probably most importantly, you have a lot of people who are religious leaders during this time. And so what Jesus is doing as he is, as he is giving this contrast is he is kind of rebuking on one hand the religious leaders. He's calling their motives into question. Why do you stand on the side of the road and you declare all of these prayers so loudly when you fast? Why do you walk around like you're mourning? Why? It's just to draw attention to yourself. So on one hand, it's a rebuke, but on the other hand, it's an incredible teaching for those who will follow Christ of the ways that you should pray and the ways that you should fast and give and and so on and so forth. And so in this text, what we're about to read, we find Jesus come to the point where he's saying, listen, this is how you pray. When you pray, this is how you do it. This is where you go. These are the steps. And at one point, he even gets really, really clear. And he says, listen, when you pray, this is how you should pray. And he leads into the Lord's Prayer. What we're going to find here in the Lord's Prayer is that it is kind of broken up into a couple different sections. So the first part of the Lord's Prayer focuses solely on relationship with the Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, 
right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So it's, it's focused completely on the Father. But at some point, you see a transition where it shifts from a focus on the Father and it shifts to my relationship with the Father and my relationship with other people, right? So it's solely about the Father, and then it transitions to me and other people. We see the same thing in uh, the Ten Commandments. You see the first four commandments are all about relationship with God. We see, um, you know, you should not, uh, uh, you should honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. You should not create false idols. It's all about attention on the Father. But then the latter six, what you see is it's all about my relationship with God and my relationship with other people. It's a very interesting connection that we have going on here. Now, we're going to read these five or six sentences, or we're going to pray them together in just a second. But we're going to focus on one particular part of the Lord's prayer. Uh, there's a segment here that says, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. Now, even in that one sentence, that sentence can be broken into two parts. One part has to do, again, with my relationship with the Father. Father, forgive me of my trespasses. But the other part has everything to do with my relationship with other people. Forgive them, help me to forgive them as they trespassed against me. And so that's the, the small segment that we're going to spend most of our time on today. Pastor, a few weeks ago, uh, uh, taught a sermon on uh, repentance and sanctification, all that stuff regarding our forgiveness between us and the Father. Today, I want to take time as it relates to forgiveness from one to another. Now, the thing is, is that if you have been a Christian very long, your response right now is, yes, I've always heard about forgiveness. Like, this is like one of the most foundational things that, that Christianity contains. I know all about forgiveness, but I want to remind us this morning that even though we may know about forgiveness, we never outgrow forgiving. We never, you can never outgrow forgiving. Why? Because problems have a way of making their way to us. And so this morning, I want to read with you. Uh, actually, we can, we can pray together if we can. The Lord's Prayer is we do every Sunday. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Father, as we open your word, we remind ourselves today that your word is living and it's active, it's powerful. It is strong enough to reveal things to us that no other human and no other writing could ever do. It can divide between the soul and the spirit, which is an incredible thing. And I just want to pray this morning as we read your word, as we explore this nature of forgiveness, I want to, I want to pray for that same Pentecostal power that anoints us to pray in other tongues and it empowers us to boldly declare the gospel as Pastor Justin has told. It also empowers us to raise up the sick, to lay hands, to cast out demons, to do so many incredible things. But I want us to be reminded this morning that the same power 
that's required for those things is required in us to forgive other people. I want to pray this morning, Lord, that you will just settle on your people this morning in a really powerful way, that you will help us to see things with a new lens, with clear eyes and pure hearts. And I pray you'll do it in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. Just a few years ago, our church took a a trip to Israel. You've heard me or pastor or others talk about it. Many of you were probably on that trip. I think we took um, 30, 40 people on the trip. It was a phenomenal trip. Uh, Hands down, the best trip of my life, okay? So if you ever get the opportunity to go to Israel, make sure that you do it, okay? Um, I wanted my wife to go so bad with me, I I sold my truck so that she could go to Israel. I mean, that's how it came in. And it was amazing. It was worth every penny. I'd do it again. It was awesome. So uh, make sure you do that. But um, just before we went on the trip to Israel, um, a group of us, the Hendersons and the Chitties, we decided that we were going to leave a few days before the big group, and we were going to have a few days layover in London. Now, Joy and I, we had never been to England, and frankly, I was kind of bored with everything I knew about England up to that point. Um, but when I got there, it was phenomenal. I mean, it was amazing. And, and we arrived during the royal wedding. We were like standing in the airport watching the royal you know, procession come and everything. It was really an amazing trip. Well, one day in, in the midst of the trip, um, you know, the groups were going different places, doing different things. And Pastor and I were supposed to meet up together to go do something. And we were going to meet at uh, the the Tower of London. This is where they keep the, the crown jewels. It's right near the, you know, the Tower Bridge and everything. And um, so I got there a little bit early and I was sitting on a bench and a uh, pastor texted me, it's something kind of funny, and he said, when you see the raven land on the bench beside you, uh, be aware that the prophet is near. And I, I kind of looked over and I, I was, there was a raven sitting right there on the bench. I got a photo of the raven. You see this raven? And uh, sure enough, about 12 seconds later, here comes Pastor, the prophet, you know. And uh, so we had, we had a lot of fun with that, but we ended up na- naming uh, this bird. We called him Maven. Maven the raven. And uh, it was a really funny thing and everything. So a couple of days later, after this had happened, we got on another plane and we flew, you know, three, 4,000 miles to Israel to, to meet up with the rest of the group for the next week or so. And um, when we got there, we started our tour uh, around uh, Caesarea, okay, around the, around the sea, around the Mediterranean Sea. That's where we started. And one day we were out there and we were looking at um, the ruins. We were going through, you know, things that Herod had built and all these kinds of things. It was amazing, just so majestic and beautiful. And I happened to look up at a certain point, and I saw the, in these ruins, I looked up, and there I saw Maven. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't believe me, so I took photos. You see that? <laughs> and I thought to myself, this bird has traveled 3,000 miles. He's following us. And I thought, surely nothing like this has ever happened in human history, so I've got to document this thing. And so I just thought, man, this is, this is absolutely incredible. And so we leave, you know, the middle part, the, 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 uh, the west coast of, of Israel, and we travel a little bit north up to the Sea of Galilee. And would you believe me if I told you when we were walking up one day to the Sea of Galilee, 
we see this sign and sitting on top of the sign, I have a photo. Maven! I was freaking out at this point. I was like, London, Tel Aviv, now the Sea of Galilee, this is incredible. I would have captured him and taken him home if I could have, but I'm not that skilled. And so um, we left the Sea of Galilee. We, we traveled a little bit further. Um, later on, we ended up uh, in Jerusalem, which was, you know, the highlight of the trip. And we were in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's the most tranquil place there. We had one, anyway, uh, it, was, it was an amazing experience. This is where Jesus, you know, it's the night of his crucifixion. And he goes and uh, it's the, the prayer where he says, not my will, but thy will be done. And uh, just incredible, incredible sobering moment. It's so majestic, so beautiful. They've taken such good care of it to preserve uh, that area. And so we're all, the, the tour leader asked us to take, you know, let's take half an hour and let's just in, engage in prayer and meditation, everything. And so um, we're there and in the, in the midst as I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm pondering the things of the Lord, all of a sudden I hear, call! Call, call! And I kid you not, Maven is right there in that tree in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's another photo. I don't want to extend the story, but there's another photo when we're further south in the country where this bird finds its way. And I think, I think it doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter who I'm with. It doesn't matter how far I travel. This bird, he's going to find me. And he's going to trace me the rest of my life. Now, obviously... This isn't the same bird. Maybe. Okay. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but if I were, this would be at the top of the list. So now you're thinking, obviously, it's not the same bird, and, and that's absolutely true. This morning, I want to talk to you about hurt and offense and moving from that into a place of true forgiveness. And what I've learned about hurt, not only in my own life, but even in, you know, 20 years of ministry, I, I've learned this, that hurt is a lot like Maven. It doesn't matter how far you've walked with the Lord. It doesn't matter what church you're a part of. It doesn't matter how many conferences you've been to and how many deliverance experiences you've encountered or how many people you have been used by God to deliver or how often you pray or how long you pray in tongues. It doesn't matter the people that you surround yourselves with. The reality is this, is that hurt has a way of finding us. All of us. In one form or another, hurt, offense, deep hurt that, 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 that bores out trauma in our lives, it has a way of finding us, every single one of us. And again, it doesn't matter how long I've walked with the Lord. It doesn't matter how mature I am in Christ. It doesn't matter how much I know theologically. One time or another, hurt is going to find me. The reality is this. Knowing that, having the ability to foresee that, to understand that even in Jesus' words, he said, listen, if, if I had issues, you're going to have issues. 
If people hated me, people are going to hate you. And if they persecuted me, they're going to come after you. Knowing that, knowing the, the, having the foreknowledge of that, knowing that hurt and offense is coming, it would be so wise for us to take the position to realize that hurt is coming, therefore, I must learn to deal with the pain. And I want to say this at the outset. I believe for there are a lot of different layers and levels of, of hurt and, and offense that, that many of us have, have gone through. And I don't want to minimize that at all. I mean, some of us have gone through excruciating things in life. Um, and we've all gone through at least minor things in our lives. So I don't want to belittle that by any stretch of the imagination, but I do want to say this, that although, you know, I promote things like godly Christian counseling to help us get through things. I promote stuff like that. I believe in it. Um, there are so many different things. Uh, I believe in the, the prayer of deliverance that God can break some things off of us. When this, and I believe all of that can happen, and I believe that God uses all that. But can I, can I just remind us this morning that the purest path of healing is through the road of forgiveness. It's through the road, the road of true releasing things back into the hands of the Father. And, and listen to me. It's not that Christianity is unique in this. We're, we're not unique. Most major religions of the world, you know, have some level of expectation that when you're hurt, that you're going to forgive. Most major religions celebrate or, you know, uh, teach this thing. But what separates Christianity is the depth and the level of forgiveness that we are required to offer other people, right? There, there is a difference. It's not just a verbal expression. It's a release of the soul. It's a release of the heart. It's a release of the hurt. It's not something on the surface. It's something that, that's very, very deep. And so, so again, you know, just a few sentences earlier before Jesus prays this beautiful prayer, he's reminding his disciples that the way that you deal with people who hurt you, whether intentionally or unintentionally is not the issue. People who hurt you, people who come for you, the way that you deal with them is going to be necessarily different than the way that others deal with their enemies. That's what he would say. He would say, listen, when it comes to your enemies, you need to bless your enemies. Those who persecute you, pray for them. Love your enemies which is one of the most profound and difficult teachings that Christ ever taught, but is so overlooked, especially in the church of America. Listen, unforgiveness is a major issue in, in, in the Western church. I mean, you can, you know, I know that you can Google any statistic that you want to. Um, so I've learned that. So I've learned that when I Google statistics that I really dig in and try to study things out. And I'll tell you that, that based on some things that, that I've looked into, um, the Church of America really struggles with the idea of forgiving, like truly forgiving other people beyond just a verbal statement. Just a couple of years ago, a prestigious uh, research group surveyed over 3,000 Christians. 500 of them were pastors in the United States, over 3,000 Christians. And more than 700 of those people said there was at least one person in their life that they just cannot forgive. Okay? Now, let me context. 
that pain that, that those people are experiencing is likely some of the most difficult pain that a person has to walk through. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not casting judgment on those people. All I'm saying is this, is that a, an emotional, spiritual wound is likened to a physical wound in this. If you slice open your leg and you do not tend to the issue, at some point it may scab over, it may, you know, you may think that it's healed, but if that thing has an infection, you're not going to see the infection until it's manifesting, yeah. right? And in the same way in, in spiritual situations or emotional hurt and damages, oftentimes what many people try to do is we try to suppress that hurt. We try to make it just, just not even a thing. But I promise you one thing I know, I have experienced this personally, and I've seen dozens and dozens of people experience the same thing. That if we refuse to deal with the pain and the hurt that we have experienced, it will manifest itself in one way or another. Now, it may manifest itself in a thousand different ways, but I promise you this, it will manifest itself. And so for us, having the foreknowledge, it is wise for us to to become acquainted with the concept of forgiveness, to be able to deeply associate and deeply look for things that want to stick to the inward parts of our soul and clear those things out. And so the point of what I want to share with you today is not a step-by-step, this is how you walk through forgiveness, okay? Um, I'll share with you a little bit about that. But today, more than anything, I want to help us reframe the concept of what, what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. I think that the strong reluctance that we see in the Church of America against you know, walking out the difficult process of forgiveness, I think there's such a reluctance there. It's not because people don't have the heart to do it. It's because I think in some people's minds, they believe that forgiveness means this when it actually means this. And today, all I want to do is I want to help reframe what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. And so we're going to get there. Just give me a few minutes. I need to make some disclaimers and some different things like that. But I just want to say this, the further that we go along into the end of the end times, there is going to be an uptick in anti-Christian activity. That is going to reveal itself in the workplace. It's already massively revealing itself in our school systems. It's going to reveal itself in so many different ways. And so my, my contention is this, if we know prophetically that these difficult times are coming, then we are wise on this side of those difficult times to master the art of what it means to forgive other people that hurt us. So I want to acknowledge that hurt comes from a thousand different places, okay? Hurt comes from people we love and people we don't love that much. It comes from churches, comes from leadership, it comes from parents, it comes from spouses, it comes from children, it comes from governments, it comes from people groups, it comes from so many different places. But the reminder again is this, is that regardless of who you are and what form it comes, it's coming. And we must learn on this side of it how to deal with it and what it means to truly walk in forgiveness. So let me give you a couple of disclaimers this morning. Uh, today for the next few minutes, um, 
our time together is going to be very practical, okay? Um, I'm going to run through a thing. This is what it is. This is what it isn't and different things like that. Um, but I want to say on the front end that this will not be a comprehensive, exhaustive discussion today, okay? Uh, this is a series that deserves like eight weeks, okay? Um, but, but that's not where we're at right now. So, so there is a very intentional goal that I have today, and that is to kind of reframe our, our misconceptions or some of our misconceptions about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. And so let me give you three disclaimers um, really quickly. Number one, when dealing with hurt, there are extremes to avoid, okay? I have 27 children in my home, (laughs) and a few years ago, one of them was absolutely infatuated with Band-Aids. I mean, this was like right when they just started coming. You know, for all of my life, they've been, you know, a tan-colored Band-Aid that you could pop on. Well, now they have Princess Jasmine Band-Aids and SpongeBob Band-Aids and anything and everything that you can imagine. And their marketing did exactly what it was supposed to do. And so my one particular daughter became obsessed with Band-Aids. And, you know, we would find her in the corner of the living room, head to toe, just Band-Aids all over the place, you know. And... Um, there came a certain point, you know, where I was like to my wife, babe, we're not buying more Band-Aids. Like, we're, okay, I have, we have a house payment. We can't do this, you know, because we were just crushing through Band-Aids left and right. And so when we decided that we were going to pull back from all the Band-Aid usage or misusage, I guess, um, I would find that my daughter would come in from playing outside or coming from her, another room of the house or anywhere, you know, she'd come in and she'd be like, oh, my leg. Daddy, my leg, I need a Band-Aid. You know? Or, oh, my tummy hurts, I need a Band-Aid, you know. In other words, she was constantly looking for a hurt that actually was not there, Right? And listen, as, as adults, this is an extreme that we need to be aware of and we need to avoid. You know, you have probably been that person. I've been that person where there are seasons of my life where I am looking for a reason to get hurt. I'm looking for a reason to be offended. I'm constantly, I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm looking for that, right? And so I'm not saying like you're a terrible person if you've ever veered into this lane. All I'm saying is there's got to be a course of correction. Because that is an extreme that we do not need to settle in or get too comfortable with. The other extreme is the kid, you know, my little one, you know, she's on the playground. She falls and busts her knee and there's blood gushing and, you know, things oozing out. And she's like, I'm fine. And she doesn't want to quit playing. And I'm like, no, now you need a Band-Aid. I'm fine. Adults do the same thing. The other extreme, some people are just so obsessed with finding a way to be hurt, right? Other people act like they're never hurt. These are two equal opposites. And listen to me, they're both equally as destructive. This side over here, it's not more noble. It's a hindrance to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we, we, we need to be people who, who acknowledge 
legitimate hurt. Not make things up, but, but legitimately acknowledge things and then find ourselves in a place where we are willing to process and make progress as we go through those things. And so, again, as a disclaimer, it's important that we all understand that, that when dealing with hurt, there are extremes that we all have to avoid, okay? Number two, when dealing with hurt, everyone processes pain differently, okay? As, as a married man with, with a bunch of kids, I have fallen into the trap whether it's offense or another issue, it could be any issue in life. I've oftentimes fallen into the trap where I, I would like go to my wife and she will express to me an issue that she has and I'll say, oh, well, this is what you need to do, A, B, C. Well, my wife doesn't process the same way that, that I do, usually better than I do, okay, and she has better solutions, but, I, but I'm just saying that, that my expectation sometimes is, well, if you'll just do this, it'll be fine. And I've done that on my kids, and, and, and the reality of what I've learned is this, is that every one of my children and my spouse, I almost said every one of my spouses, and my spouse, <laughs> and my spouse process things differently. And so as, as a support system for them, I need to give allowance for, for stuff like that. So again, let me just say this. Uh, this is not going to be a step-by-step type of thing. Uh, this is what I encourage you to do, to search out the scriptures that, that give us pictures of forgiveness in the life of Joseph and the, you know, in the teachings of, of, of uh, Paul, uh, Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18, sweet heavenly father. If we could just get Matthew 18 down, we would be awesome, okay? Uh, Jesus is the picture he gives of, of forgiving Peter three times, the restoration of that process. I encourage you, dig those things out on your own. I'm not going to be able to say this is what you need to do. You will process things differently than I do. I will simply say this, that, that there need to be seasons, especially when you're dealing with major issues, there need to be seasons where you still away and you seek the heart of God and you seek discernment. Father, how do I deal with this situation? Okay, is this a phone call? Is this a text? Can I tell you this? I'm going to blow your mind. You realize that some offenses can be um, really concluded just with a text or a phone call? You realize that? You don't got to carry that junk for seven or eight months. It's a text, right? You can do it right now. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that, okay? But I'm saying, my point is, some things can be resolved with a phone call. Some things don't need to have a one-on-one conversation. Some things need to be written in a letter. But some things need to be set down with another person and express your grief and your hurt and your pain. All I'm saying is the point is this. I don't know what that means for you. Okay, no one can tell you the right way to handle those things. That's why I think as Christian believers, we need to go to the one who knows us better than anybody else and say, Father, knowing me and knowing them, what is the best way that I should go about this? Because I'm going to tell you this. And again, there's a reluctance here to, to, to really take action with some of these things. But, but there's a very hard truth that we have to wrestle with. And that truth is this that your hurt may not be your fault. Likely, it's not your fault. But your healing is your responsibility. Okay? And I don't mean that as like this harsh one-liner to like cut somebody deep and like, oh, I shouldn't have said, you know. No, I, I mean that's a reality. Because the person that's hurt you, the likelihood of them knowing that and trying to seek out a way to heal your heart 
Incredibly unlikely. Incredibly unlikely. So knowing that I'm going to face hurt at some point, I also need to saddle myself with the responsibility that if, even though it's not my fault that I got hurt, it is going to be my responsibility to attain the healing that I need to attain. This is one thing I've found over the past probably five or six years. Um, and, and again, I, I am thoroughly supportive of uh, Christian counseling and therapy and couples therapy. I am, you have no idea how supportive I am of, of all of that. But I have talked to a lot of people over the past five or six years who are engaging with, uh, you know, discussions and such. And what I've found is that there are a lot of people that are talking about the hurt and the issues and the trauma that they have experienced, but they're not really making progress away from it. It's like they're sitting in it. And, and it's just kind of like rehashing it and rehearsing it in the mind, but not, re- it's kind of like uh, if you've ever had a teenager that you had to wake up at 6 a.m. to go to high school, right? You go in at 6 a.m. Hey, it's time to get up, get showered, go to school. <sighs> you go away, come back five minutes later. <sighs> wake up, it's time to go, I'm up, I'm up. You know, they, they throw one leg out the side of the bed. I'm up, I'm up. Okay. So you walk away. Ten minutes later, you come in. They're in the same position. You shake them. You go, oh, I'm up, I'm up. They sit up, and they, they finally get up, okay? What has just happened is that there's been a lot of motion, but not a lot of progress, right? whole lot of activity happening right here, but you're not going anywhere. Get up. Okay. We've got to be so cautious of doing that with our pain. Just kind of like sitting in it, a lot of conversations, a lot of expressions, a lot of asking people to pray, which is all that's necessary, but just kind of like wandering around in it instead of moving forward and making process and progress in, in, in the healing aspect of it. And so, so, so we've got to understand that everybody processes differently, and we need to make space for people to process differently, but we've got to make progress in our process, if that makes sense. Okay, number three, um, last disclaimer is this. When dealing with hurt, we've got to remind ourselves that the Father wants to help us not further hurt us. Okay? Listen, it can be incredibly painful to deal with things of, of our past. Speaking from experience, it can be incredibly difficult to deal with those things. But in the mercy of God, there will be times where he will bring up hurts or unresolved conflicts in our heart. And the question is, Lord, why would, why would the Father, if he's good, if he, if he only wants good for me, if he loves me, if he cares for me, Why would he bring up issues like that? And the answer is very, very simple, but very, very complex. And it's simply this, that he wants your soul to be cleansed. See, our souls are kind of like a car engine. And over the process of time, they collect what I, um, what I theologically call gunk. Okay. Um, They, they collect gunk. 
And what the Spirit of God is trying to do when he brings back remembrance of these unresolved, unsettled issues, it's not that he's trying to remind you of some failure or some hurt or some issue. It's not that he's trying to do that. He is far more wise than that. He's trying to bring it to the surface so that it can be swept away. He's trying to do a deep cleansing of the soul, and we would be wise to allow Father to do his good work and follow his principles that he gives us in Scripture. And so we, we must be good practice people in the art of forgiveness on three different levels. Number one, we must learn to repeatedly forgive ourselves. I can't tell you how many people I've sat in a room with that could not move forward with their lives. Not because they couldn't forgive another person, but because they couldn't forgive themselves. Listen, I'm talking grown adult people. And the irony with that is this. They will make statements like this. Well, I know that the Lord forgives me. I just can't forgive myself which I understand that, and that sounds very, very noble, but it's counterproductive. Because in essence, what I've just done is I have set my standard of forgiveness above the standard of God's forgiveness. I've said, Lord, I know that you'll forgive me because, well, that's just what you do. It's in your nature. It's just what you do. But me, I can't forgive myself because what I've done is too great. Again, noble, but extremely counterproductive. And so I want to remind us that we have to be a people that consistently learn to forgive ourselves. And, and listen to me, I'll say this. This may be the greater issue out of all the issues with so many Christians is learning to walk in forgiveness ourselves. So we've got to learn to forgive ourselves. And number two, another very, very important one is I must to repeatedly learn to forgive God when necessary. Now, obviously, the Lord doesn't need my forgiveness. The Lord isn't like, you know, frustrated. Why won't Corey forgive me? I've done everything. No. He doesn't need my forgiveness. It's not a stress point for him. But I need for my own soul to forgive him. And you say, well, God is good. He's perfect in all of his ways. Well, that just means that, that you may not have walked with the Lord long enough for him to disappoint you. And, and this is what, I'll, what I mean by when I say that. It's not that God ever errs or he doesn't fulfill his word or his commitment or his promises. It's not that whatsoever. It's that sometimes I put an expectation on God that's not biblical. And sometimes what I can do if I'm not careful is I can, when God chooses to act in a certain way that I disagree with, I can take up offense with him. Or, and probably far more common, when the Lord decides not to act in a situation, that is really the moment when, if I'm not careful and guard my heart, that offense can really settle in. And so I would just say that there will be times in our lives where the Lord disappoints us, not because he has done wrong, but because our expectations are amiss. And so we need to remember that we must repeat God because he's good. He'll never do wrong. 
He'll never do wrong by us. He will never do wrong by us. He will never do wrong by us. So we must settle that in our souls and learn to forgive the Lord when we feel that offense arise. And then number three, what we're going to spend most of our, the rest of our time on this morning, is that I must repeatedly learn to forgive others. Now, what we find when we read throughout Scripture is we find that in some strange way, our relationship with other people is tied to our relationship with the Father. We find Jesus would basically say it like this. Listen, if, if there's an issue here, there's an issue here. Right? Well, I don't feel like there's an issue here. Oh, I, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what I feel. I'm telling you what Scripture says. If there is an issue here that's unresolved, there's an issue here. And so we, we have got to put ourselves in a position where we are willing and able to repeatedly forgive others. And again, this can happen a thousand different ways. I don't know what that way is for you. Pray, discern, dig into scripture, find out what, what the path is, but the Lord will provide that, okay? Now, let's, let's take the rest of our time, and I want to really get to the, to the crux of what I wanted to focus on this morning, and it's defining what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not, okay? Number one in your notes, Forgiveness is not excusing or condoning an offense. It's acknowledging an offense. Okay? John chapter 8, a woman caught in the act of adultery, not about to commit adultery, and not she did commit adultery, in the act of adultery, drugged before a crowd of men, probably mostly nude, humiliated, incredibly embarrassed, about to lose her life for her sin, and all of a sudden the Son of God steps in and he covers her. He makes a way to shield her from the penalty of her sin. He, he makes a way of forgiveness, and he indeed does that. He says, where are your condemners? She says, they're gone. He says, so neither do I condemn you anymore. And this is what he's saying. I'm forgiving you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I, I'm not going to condemn you. I forgive you. But this is what he does. He doesn't just say, I forgive you generally. He says, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. And in that moment, what Jesus is doing, he's saying, forgiveness is not cheap. And it doesn't just whoof, magically cover everything. Grace, forgiveness, is very, very specific. And the blood of Christ covers every single minute sin in existence. And he looks at this woman even in the midst of her sin, and he says, listen, baby, I forgive you, but this is still sin. Stop doing it. Stop acting in it. So Jesus in that moment isn't condoning her sin. He's not excusing it and saying, oh, it's fine, no big deal. No, he's saying, listen, this is a big deal. This is sin. I've spared your life. Stop acting like this, right? And so when we, when, we, when we go and we begin to forgive people, I think it's so important that we wrestle with this idea. It doesn't mean that I'm just forgiving, or excuse me, it, it does mean that I'm just forgiving, but it doesn't mean that I've somehow put a stamp of approval on the activity. It does not mean that. And so we have to position ourselves in a place of humility that understands forgiveness is not condoning something, it's just acknowledging what's been done. Okay, number two, 
Forgiveness is not removing consequences, but removing revenge. So, with your natural children, you understand that, that consequences are a necessary part of their development, right? It's, it's necessary to discipline them when, you know, hey, listen, okay, I know you're only two, but I told you not to throw spaghetti against the wall, okay? Here's your consequence, okay? So it's a necessary part of, of raising natural children, but in the same divine order, it's a necessary part of the way that God deals with us as his children. So you have David who's caught or in the sin of adultery with Bathsheba, the murder of her husband Uriah, covering up the murder, and then almost a year later, still no confession, still no repentance, still no acknowledgement of the sin that David has committed. And so the father sends prophet. Nathan comes to the table. He calls David to the carpet, and he says, this is the sin. David repents of his sin. Drastically and deeply, beautifully, David repents of his sin. But I think it's important for us not to forget that though David was forgiven of his sin, he still had consequences to face for his sin. The consequence of David's sin was that his son lost his life, which seems deeply tragic and difficult to understand how or why God would choose to operate in that way. But it just furthers the point that God is never going to do wrong by his standards or by us. But further, the point is, is really more this, that there is a very real difference between consequence and revenge. Consequence is more judicial. No emotion, right? This is why with juries, when juries are selected in a court of law, they want those juries to have no information, no connection to the case, as little knowledge as possible about the case. Why? Because they want them to objectively, judicially, without emotion attached, make a righteous judgment on the situation. Right? And so, again, dealing with our children, you threw spaghetti against the wall. So, judicially, um, here's your punishment. Um, you know, you go in timeout for 20 minutes or whatever the case may be. Okay, very judicial. Revenge is very emotional. Revenge says, You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. Right? I'll never forget one time a few years ago. Um, the pastors were with uh, the Word Spirit Power team, and we were having uh, breakfast. Um, and, and when those guys talk, you just, you just sit and listen. You soak it in. You just, yes, sir. Uh-huh. That's right. You know, all this kind of stuff. But then one day, Jack Taylor said something that utterly shocked me. And I didn't, I honestly, in the moment, I didn't agree with. I was like, ooh, I don't like how that feels. But he said this. He said, he was talking about parenting and how our relationship with the Father is much like, you know, earthly relationships uh, parentally. That's what he said. He said, most of the time when earthly parents discipline their children, it's not a consequence, it's revenge. 
And again, I just, yes, sir, yes, sir. But inside I was like, no, what, what are you saying? No, I would never take out revenge on my child. But then when he further began to explain it, I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. That's, that's hundred percent accurate. And this is what he said. He said, usually when we're dealing with our children, if they push our buttons long enough, there's going to come a moment where you snap, mercy, 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 judgment. (laughs) And when that judgment hammer falls, it's not judicial. There is a lot of emotion attached, and usually that emotion, anger. And so Jack was just basically saying, look, as parents, in the same way that our heavenly father just doesn't deal with us based out of his raw emotion, he deals with us with wisdom and necessary consequence in the same way we need to deal with our children in that way. And listen, when it comes to our relationship with other people that have hurt us especially, it's so difficult to let the emotion of the moment go listen to me, understandably difficult to let the emotion of it go. But in the justice of God, we have got to be a people who don't err on the side of revenge, of vindicating ourselves, of standing up and tearing down because I feel like I've been torn down. Scripture clearly reminds us, listen, um, the Lord will be your vindication. He told Moses, the Lord will fight for you. You just stand still. He told Peter in Peter's epistle, listen, for those who wrongly persecute you and wrongly uh, 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 come against you and speak ill of you, if you will just hold your ground and you won't attempt to go after revenge, if you will allow the Lord to vindicate you, there is a special blessing reserved for you in that. But man, that is so contrary to the flesh. That's so counterintuitive to what our natural reactions want. But the Father, what he's trying to do, he's trying to get us to a place in this. He's trying to get us to a place where we can say, because Jesus gave up his right to retaliate against me. And listen to me say this. No one has come close to hurting any of us, even collectively, universally, in the way that we have hurt the heart of God. If anybody had a right for revenge, it was God. But he refused his rights, and he refused to retaliate against me. And so God is trying to get us to a place where I can say, In the same way that Jesus gave up his right to retaliate against me, I am giving up my right to retaliate against others. Okay? Now listen to me say this. i got to be really clear with this. That doesn't mean that there shouldn't be consequences. And that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be justice. It doesn't mean that there shouldn't be confrontation. It doesn't mean any of that. It just simply means that when I deal with something, I have to separate myself from the emotion of the moment more in order to deal with it in the way that Father would deal with it, okay? And so so we've, we've got to realize that there's a difference between consequence and revenge. Revenge oftentimes looks a lot like consequences, but there's difference, okay? Uh, revenge often 
looks like this. It, it looks like if Justin has, has harmed me or offended me, that even though I go to him and I say, I forgive you, that I'm constantly bringing up the past hurt or the past offense. Ever so often, maybe not constantly, but at least every other month. I'm going to remind him of the hurt that he calls me. That's not true forgiveness. That's revenge. Since spouses who will be hurt by one or, or the other and withhold good from the other spouse. That's not consequence, that's revenge. You've seen people who act incredibly passive aggressive. I forgive you, but they're continuously passive aggressive. That is a manifestation of an infection that has not really been taken care of and healed. That is a type of revenge, and we need to really surrender those things to the Lord. Listen to me, can I just share my heart really quick? I know everything that I'm saying is super frustrating. You're like, bring pastor back, please bring, no, okay. Hey, he says things that sting too, okay? But I'm just saying this. I know, I know what I'm saying is incredibly difficult. I get that. I'm not, I'm not naive to that. But I'm also a believer in the, in the depths and the truth of the Scripture, that God is trying to better me through difficulty. Even if it's self-initiated difficulty that I, that I have to put myself through, God is trying to work it out for me so that I can be everything that he's called me to be. Yes. Number three in your notes. Forgiveness is not always offering reconciliation, but offering peace. Okay? Now, out of all of these, I think this is the one that faces the most misunderstanding. Because I think in... For a lot of people, we think, well, if I forgive that person, that means that I've got to be in relationship with that person again. And I don't want to be, so I'm not going to forgive them. That is not the teachings of Scripture. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. He said, if it is possible, I love that. that is, those are four of my favorite words in the whole Bible. If it is possible, meaning this, sometimes it's not. But he says, if it is possible... As far as it depends on you, not the other person, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I want to remind us that being at peace with someone does not necessarily mean being in relationship with someone. You understand that, that there are some offenses that happen. There are some hurts that occur that always need to be forgiven. But it doesn't mean that you need to reconcile the relationship with that person. Okay, so for instance, if, if your child, God forbid, was ever molested by another person, you can forgive that person, but that person should never have access to your life again. You understand what I'm saying? There, there's a difference. I can be at peace and I can forgive you, but I can also be fine never to see your face again. You understand what I'm saying? And, and I think that sometimes in, in our minds we say, well, if, if, I, if I forgive this person, that means I'm reconciling with this person, which means that they're, they're going to be at, at Thanksgiving dinner, and I don't want that. It's not what it means at all. Just don't send them an invitation. Right? It doesn't mean there, there are some people that you can forgive them all day long, but they don't need access to your life anymore. And listen to me, that's not revenge, that's a consequence. 
okay? And so, so we've, we've got to remember that sometimes living at peace just means not being at war. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you've got to bring them into your home. It just means that you're not at war with them anymore. You're, you're choosing the high road to live in peace. So forgiveness is not always offering reconciliation, but offering peace. Number four, forgiveness is not the ending of hurt, but the beginning of healing. It's not the ending of hurt, but the beginning of healing. I was going through tremendous personal hurt, probably the most hurt I had, I had ever experienced um, years and years and years ago. Forgiveness took root, reconciliation, you know, all this stuff. And then there came a time where all of a sudden, like, this hurt began to fester again, began to, like, manifest. I was offended again and irritated and annoyed. And it's so funny, like when you're offended with someone about this issue, that all the little things they do just so annoy you on so many levels. And I was like, Lord, what is going on? And, and I really believe the Lord gave me a word picture. And the idea of what I felt like God spoke was, was this, was that when, when you have a wound, if there is a scab that indicates that the wound is healing, okay? But when you have a scar, it indicates that the wound has healed, okay, which is good. The trouble is, is that, so for me right now, I have a physical scar on my arm. When I was a kid, I had surgery, you know, on both sides. I have about a six-inch scar on either side of my arm. And I'll tell you this, if, if you know, Pastor Justin came and started just like, irritating this, guess what's going to happen at a certain point? Even though it's been healed for 10, 20 years, what's going to happen at a certain point is that he's going to reopen that wound. Yeah. Understand that? He's going to irritate it. It's going to rub uh, against the grain. It's going to begin to fester and to irritate me again. And this is what, what I really sense the Lord was speaking, that even when we go through processes and we have, we have been healed, okay, through, through the process of forgiveness, there are still times where those things can come up again. And it doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven someone. It doesn't even mean that you're not healed. It just means that you're still in the process of being healed. Okay? So some healing can take place in a conversation, but other healing requires a lifetime. There are some hurts and some offenses that run so deep in us that they require more time. I would even say that the deeper the hurt, the longer the time required in most situations. So, so even as you walk through forgiveness, don't be confused if you feel like you were past a situation, but every now and then it, it comes up again, it's irritated again. That doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. It's, it doesn't mean that, that you, you aren't in the midst of healing. It's an indicator that you are in the midst of healing, okay? Number five is this. Forgiveness is not forgetting the offense, but releasing it. Forgiveness is not forgetting the offense, but releasing it. Okay, so very, very quickly. There are some things that need to be forgiven and forgotten. Spousal arguments. The argument you had on the way to church this morning. I'm kidding. I know none of you argue. Those things need to be forgiven and forgotten quickly, right? 
If you have a friend that you loaned $25 to three and a half years ago and they never paid you back, forgive and forget. That's the thing that needs to be forgiven and that's the thing that needs to be forgotten, okay? But then there are some things that need to be forgiven but never forgotten. For example, if you had someone in your life that had access to your bank account and they drained tens of thousands of dollars from your savings, that is not a moment where you say, well, I forgive you and I forget what happened. No, that is a moment where you say, I forgive you, but I can't forget the tens of thousands of dollars you've taken. Therefore, we can be in a relationship, but here are some boundaries. You no longer have access to my checking account, yeah. right? So, so, so forgiveness doesn't mean doing away with wisdom, yeah. right? It doesn't mean you forsake wisdom. It, it means that you enhance wisdom. If, if there is a person that has consistently and repetitively um, broken trust or broken confidence, it doesn't mean that you can't forgive them, but it may mean that you say, look, here are the consequences. I'm not going to have deep heart level conversations with you anymore. And that's just a product of those things. So there are some things that need to be forgiven and forgotten. There are other things that need to be forgiven, but not forgotten, but all things need to be forgiven and released to the Lord. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Number six. And as we close this up, number six, forgiveness is not optional, but a command. Paul's words to the church at Colossae, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. That word grievance there is a, is a very deep personal type of, of phraseology. So, so bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And then he, he puts this, this stake in the ground and this is what he says. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is the way C.S. Lewis would say it. He would say, as Christians, we must forgive the inexcusable in others because Christ forgave the inexcusable in me. And so Paul is, you know, Lewis is just echoing the words of Paul that we are to forgive others in the same way that Christ forgave us. Can I share with you what's even more frustrating than everything that I've said today? It's not only does God require us to forgive, but God requires us to forgive when they don't even ask for it. That, my friends, I'm like, okay, come on. It's a command. Jesus, listen to me, Jesus is on the cross. They beat him virtually to death ripped his clothes, stripped him down, divided up, gambled for his clothing. And what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yeah. They didn't say, here's a piece of clothing. Jesus, would you forgive me for that? I'm sorry I just took your clothes off and, and sold them. Would you forgive me? No. They weren't asking for forgiveness at all. As a matter of fact, they thought what they were doing is right. And can I tell you, there are going to be people in all of our lives that believe with their whole heart that what they are doing is right, but it's absolutely wrong. And they will never ask for forgiveness because they don't believe that they've done anything wrong. But if it has wounded us and offended us, we have a responsibility to forgive them.
That's an incredibly frustrating thing. But let me just say this about all of us. When it comes to forgiveness, I think it's important for us to realize that a lot of people who have hurt us don't even realize that they've hurt us. I can't tell you how many people, I, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I can't tell you how many people have come to me and, and you know, just out of the blue, like, man, I just wanted to let you know I, I forgive you. I'm like, what? <laughs> For what? You know? And, and in some situations, I, I'm not exaggerating, in some situations, they will bring up something from years ago that I had no clue. I don't even remember what happened or what was said, but they were hurt, and I hurt them. And, and, and I didn't even realize it. I was wrong, but I didn't even realize I was wrong. And I think that, that as we approach issues of forgiveness, when we approach people, that we need to go in um, kind, of, kind of believing the best about them and say, man, man, maybe they don't even realize what they've done. This is the approach Jesus took. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And so forgiveness is not optional, it's a command. Number seven, forgiveness is not an emotion, but a choice of the will. Emotion in its beginning never feels good. Ever feels good in the beginning. The way a person responds when I ask for their forgiveness or when I tell them about an offense, the way that they respond has no bearance upon my forgiveness. If they go off, fly off the handle, I never did that, and you know, uh, I'm, you don't, you know, I, I don't need to be forgiven. Well, that's between them and Jesus. But you settle in your heart. I'm forgiving them regardless of how they respond. I'm not letting my emotion get wrapped up in this. Okay, remember, it's a judicial thing. It's not revenge. And so we, we have to be a people that understand it's not about emotion. It's about a choice of the will. Finally, number eight is this, that forgiveness is not a one-time event, but an ongoing activity. Listen to me. Hurt is going to find a way to find us. It's going to track us. And we would be wise to get ahead of it and learn how to deal with these things. I'm going to ask you to stand with me really quickly. I'm going to ask our worship teams and our ministry teams to go ahead and step in place real quick. I want to, I want to close by giving you a, a short little story out of, out of history. In the 1500s, there was a conquistador by the name of Hernando Cortez. Now, a conquistador was, you know, a, a person who um, they would, you know, g they were explorers, but oftentimes associated with that, they really usually didn't have a lot of money, and so they would go and, and plunder villages and kind of take over societies and different things like that. Nothing that we would encourage today, but it was kind of like, you know, a career path that some people took back in those days. Um, so this man, Cortez, in the 1500s, He's living in Cuba, and he hears this legend about a people group in the Yucatan. The legend says that these people, for 600 years, have collected treasures. Just every, every you know, territory they conquered, they bring all the It was like this reservoir, this enormous savings account for 600 years. So Cortez hears about this. And he sets his heart and he says, we're going to this people and we're going we're gonna to take this treasure and the treasure is going to be ours and we're going to make a name for ourselves. And so he takes 11 ships, 500 soldiers, 
a hundred sailors and 16 horses to go on this conquest. So they land at the Yucatan and they begin to onboard. They have a couple of conflicts with the people group that they are, you know, about ready to raid. And then all of a sudden what happens is a lot of the men that accompanied him, they started having a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, a lot of, you know, conversations like, what are we even doing here? Because all of a sudden, now uh, they're not just people coming to take over. Now there are people that have encountered diseases that they've never faced before. They don't have cures for. They're having to eat foods that are not good for their tummies, okay? Uh, there's some sickness. There's some pain. And furthermore, now they are going to battle with a people group that fights differently than any other people they've ever fought. They don't, they don't really know how to secure themselves. And even further, they're not just going against an equal group of people. They're going against an enormous army. And so understandably, there are some men that start having second guesses. I need to go back to my kids. I got a family to raise. I got people that I have to take care of in my life. And so Cortez hears about these rumors that are kind of circulating around his men. So he pulls together, you know, the, the five or six closest men that he trusts, and they begin talking, you know, what are we going to do about this? How do we end this? You know, do, do we just need to kill him, you know, and, and, and go on with the mission? You got to understand Cortez was deeply tied to this. He felt like it was, it was part of a destiny for him that, that he do this. And so what Cortez finally decides to do is an incredible leadership decision. I mean, very strong leadership. We wouldn't encourage it today, but it was a strong, decisive move. And he looks at his men. He says, I don't think we have any other options. This is what I need you to do. I want you to go and burn the ships. Burn all 11 ships so that there's no way that these men can retreat and go back home. And that's exactly what they did. All 11 ships, they burnt in a harbor at the front of the ocean for this simple reason. Cortez wanted to make sure that they did not have the option to remain where they were or to go back. Now, again, that's not something we would encourage to burn another person's vehicle, okay? (laughs) But the point, I think, is a solid point. That although the metaphor, you know, the correlation kind of burns, you know, breaks down at at some point, the, the point's simply this, is that for, for some people, it may be time to burn the ships of retreat. You see, Cortez believed if we go back, I will never fulfill my purpose. I'll never fulfill the destiny that I believe rests on my life. And so he had to remove the very thing that would secure his success for the future. And can I tell you this? That forgiveness, unforgiveness, acts as an agent It acts as a barrier that stands between us and what God has called us to do. I believe that with all of my heart. You can see the pattern throughout Scripture. And and I just want to simply just say it it may be time to kind of like to burn the ships of of waffling between healing and, and remaining hurt. And it may be time to kind of burn the ships of bringing up old offenses instead of moving forward. And it may be time to burn the ships of just kind of mulling in my hurt and my offense and in my pain and burn that ship and move forward 
so that God can do everything, everything in me that he desires to do. Listen to me. I believe this with all my heart. I know it's a little bit, the, the story line is a little bit backwards, but I believe with all my heart. Today's Pentecost Sunday. I believe with all of my heart. Peter had such a destiny upon his life. And we see that revealed in Acts 2 as he stands before thousands and, and, and shreds through the hearts of people the word of God and the gospel and thousands come to faith in Christ. He, he just he steps into his purpose in that moment. But I think all of that was rooted way back when Jesus forgave him and restored him three times. I think if none of that would have happened, it would have hindered his purpose and his destiny in life. And as bad as I hate to, hate to say it, I have seen that reality in people's lives. It's a hard reality to watch. But I think that the Lord can take us at any moment along the journey. Listen to me say this. You've never gone too far. Today can always be a new day. Today can be the day that you light the fire. Today can be the day that you step. And listen to me say this. You're not going to resolve all your issues today. You're not going to resolve all the hurt, you know, and, and I strongly encourage you, don't try to deal with anything today. Take the summer, right? Process, Lord, how do, how do I need to deal with this? But what you can do today is say, I'm committed to forward progress. That's what you can do today, right? And so, so I would just, I would just, I would just, I, I know that, that there are so many people here that have probably experienced far greater hurt than I will ever experience in my life. And they say, Corey, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds. And I know that. I know that. But I want to tell you a truth that I know from the scripture is this is that God has never called us to do something that he wasn't willing to enable us and empower us to accomplish. I believe that with all my heart. And God can take a heart that is just willing. Just listen to me. God is so good. You don't have to be at 100%. You can be at two. And he's just like, I see that. Get it. Let's go. You can do that. I believe that. And I believe that for you this morning. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I, Father, I thank you for the word of God, the powerful work of your Holy Spirit. And I thank you for this amazing church and your people. Lord, help us today to make some commitments to look into the future. I believe with all my heart if we could see what the next 10 or 15, 20 years hold for us, if we will just deal with some hurt, Lord, it would just totally turn the tide in our hearts. So I ask for that empowering of the Holy Spirit, that dunamis power of the Holy Spirit to settle upon us, to give us strength, to give us endurance, to give us commitment, to help us emotionally, to help us to know how to deal with our our pain, Lord. I pray that you'll do it for your people in the name of Jesus.